This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I want to ask you if you have your copy of God's Word to please open it to the book of Galatians once again. As I mentioned last week, we are starting a series through this letter written by the Apostle Paul. For the next few months, we'll be going verse by verse through this book, this letter. Last week, we began the message, A Greeting and a God. We were able to get through the greeting part in verses 1 through 3, so this morning we'll be picking up with the guide part. God is extremely helpful, especially as you start out on a new endeavor. My family and I have been several times to visit the Biltmore Mansion over in Asheville. There's a lot to see just going through it, but of course, you can pay a little bit more to purchase a self-guided tour that will lead you as you walk into a room to notice things that you may not have noticed, to see detail that you may have overlooked. The beginning of many of Paul's letters serves as such a guide. He will lay out the things that he's beginning to address, issues that he will go into more detail in addressing throughout the letter as it is read. Now the book of Galatians is unique. It's unique because it is missing an ingredient in the greeting that is included in all the other letters. In all the other letters written by Paul, he includes a word of thanksgiving or praise for the church. We we thank you for this. We are thankful God is doing this. Galatians has no such thanksgiving. There's an intensity with this letter that causes Paul to dive right into the main issues. And those issues are introduced to us in verses 4 through 5. I'll begin reading at verse 3 in chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's in verse 4 that, and 5 that Paul lays out four issues that he wants us to keep in mind as we go through this letter. Before we dive into those, I want to remind us that this is not just a past tense engagement with what that church struggled with. The human heart always gravitates towards sin. Because of that, the issues that were at stake in the letter written to the church at Galatia are still issues we face today. And at the heart of those issues is the gospel. Satan has always attacked and will always attack the gospel. So it is the gospel that is at the heart of what Paul is addressing as he speaks to us today. And at the heart of the gospel, of course, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. So there are four issues that Paul lays out here to give us a guide into exactly what the problems are. The first is this. He reminds us that Jesus gave himself for our sins. 
this is clearly seen in verse 4. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. This is a theme that Paul will return to in verse 20 of chapter 2, where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a reminder that at the heart of the gospel is this truth. Jesus Christ came and died willingly. He sacrificed himself willingly. He did not come because he was forced to. He did not come because he had to. He came because of the grace of God. And this is expressed in many ways. For example, in the book of Philippians chapter 2, where Paul writes this great passage, we know as the kenosis passage, he says in verses 6 through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So it's even at the incarnation, the willing sacrifice of Jesus comes to the forefront. Even before he died and suffered upon the cross, we see that Jesus willingly gave up his position with God, not leaving behind his deity, but adding to it the limitations of humanity. He came. And then being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Now the point Paul makes in Philippians is that this is the model that we are to live by. To learn to sacrifice for the sake of others. To give up what we want for the good of others. To give our very lives for Jesus. But the truth is there is a limit in our giving. Our giving, our sacrifice for others cannot atone for sin. Our giving cannot remove our rebellion against God. There is no divine calculus that says, if you commit this sin, therefore you do this many good works. That does not exist. The only way for sin to be removed was for the penalty to be paid. And that is why Paul emphasizes in that same phrase that he died for our sins. That's why Jesus is not just a martyr. Other religions can look around to great people in their religious tradition and say, look, that's a model of martyrdom. That's a model of sacrifice. Jesus was no mere martyr for two reasons. First, he rose from the dead. Second, his death was able to, to bring about a righteousness that we need with God. He died for our sins as a substitute in our place. There's a great hymn that says, In our place he stood condemned. Church, this morning as we share communion together, it's a reminder that when his body was broken, it was broken not just for us, but in our place. The death we deserve he died.
Paul emphasizes that at the heart of the gospel. And he's going to come back to that time and time again in this letter to remind us that the death of Jesus Christ is sufficient. There's nothing we need to add to it. No work, no act, no tradition. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. The second thing that Paul points out is this. That Jesus gave himself to rescue us from this present evil age. Another theme that we're going to come to again and again in the book of Galatians is the theme of deliverance and freedom. Just some examples of this. These are, are five passages that are going to come back to this theme because there is a temptation among the church at Galatia to place upon themselves a yoke of obedience, saying it is Jesus plus following the things in the law that makes one a part of the community of faith. And in doing so, Christians were putting upon themselves a burden they could not live up to. So it's a reminder that Jesus came not just to die for our sins, but he came to die for us to deliver us from this present evil age. The cross and the resurrection were a rescue mission. We love rescue stories. One of the many common themes in the shows that are on television is that of rescue. I, I can remember as a child, and many of you I think can remember this too, growing up on Saturday nights we would tune in to emergency to watch what the firefighters at Squad 51 were doing that week. That theme still continues. We love the idea of seeing heroes rush in to, to rescue someone who is trapped, whether it be in a, a fire or a car wreck, something that they cannot extricate themselves from. So notice this, that Jesus died to rescue us from this present evil age. Now we have to keep in mind that within the Scripture, there, is two, there are two ages spoken of. The present age that is under the domain of evil and sin and death. And the new age, and please, I use that phrase without the connotations of all the, the hogwash that surrounds it in this day and time. In fact, it's sad that Satan has co-opted that phrase, the new age, and used it for sinful purposes. The new age is simply the age of the kingdom of God brought in by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So you and I believers, we are the first fruits of the new age in Christ. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, 7? We are a new creation. We are new. So you and I live in an in-between time. The powers of the present age, sin, disease, death, disaster, all still exist. They have not been destroyed yet. But you and I live in the power of the Spirit. The power of the same Spirit that brought Jesus from the dead. So we live with the Spirit within us as the, those who are the beginning, the first fruits of the age to come. So the day will come when Jesus returns and the present age is done away with forever and ever and ever and ever. And the new age in Christ comes in its fullness in the new heaven and the new earth in which we live 
live in bodies that have been brought about by the Spirit with no taint of sin, death, or disease. But until then, we live in this in-between time. This theme of deliverance is one that is often overlooked. We're used to thinking in terms of Jesus dying for us, for our sins, but not in terms of deliverance. As I've been preparing for this study in Galatians, there was something that I've learned that it's one of those things, have you ever learned something and think, oh, that should have been obvious? That's the experience I've had in the last few months. Have you ever asked yourself, why was Jesus crucified at Passover? Well, we can say what he needed to be the lamb, but lambs were sacrificed all the time. If we were focusing only on his death as a substitution for our sins, Jesus could have died on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of redemption. But he didn't. Passover is associated with the exodus. The exodus event is about deliverance from the powers of slavery. So when Jesus died, it was not only that he died for our sins, that we might be right with God, but he died to deliver me and to deliver you from the powers that enslave us. To bring us out of the control of sin. That's why he died at Passover. And the problem that the church at Galatia faced is one we face today. Where it's so easy to become burdened and enslaved by the powers that be. That we miss the freedom that Christ has for us. Freedom and joy. This morning we remember that. The cup of redemption. Redeemed, bought. Redemption is a word associated with the exodus. It's a word associated with freedom. Not only that, but Jesus gave himself according to the will of God. Once again, Paul will return to this later in the letter when he writes, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God was not making this up as he went along. <laughs> this was not, well, we'll figure this out, Jesus. Now, the fact we are told in verse 4 clearly this was according to the will of God, that gives us insight into God's character. It reminds us that our God is gracious and merciful. He's not mad or mean the fact this was God's will to send Jesus to effect our deliverance reminds us that he is holy and just. Sins need to be punished. There's a price to be paid for redemption. And God paid that price in Christ. He is not evil or unconcerned. It's a reminder that he is near. He is not distant or disengaged. God is merciful and good. And we were reminded in that in the fact that he willingly sent Jesus and Jesus willingly came. And finally, this purpose to glorify God. Verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever. This is the theme that echoes in all of Paul's letters. 
It echoes in the New Testament. It echoes in the Old Testament. To honor God. To glorify Him. What do those who are rescued do? They say thank you. I don't think I've ever read an article or seen a show where a person saved is angry at being rescued. Why did you save me from that fire? It's quite the opposite, isn't it? I'd remind you that the word that is used, the Greek word used for the Lord's Supper is Eucharist. It's a word that has at its base the meaning of grace. It literally could mean good grace, but I've always found it fascinating that the word for grace, charis, and the word for joy are the very same words. Joy. Eucharist is thanksgiving. So this morning, as we come to share in communion together, we are doing so thanking God by focusing on Christ. Knowing that He has brought about our redemption. These four points really serve as a very basic outline of the Christian faith. Very basic. But it's a faith that has been shared through the ages. This morning as we share communion together, we are doing so knowing that we are a part of the body of Christ that extends through time and through space. And that we are a part of something much bigger than us. I'm going to ask Michael if he will make his way to the front now. As I said, these four points that Paul makes at the very beginning of Galatians are really just an introduction to the Christian faith. Michael's going to lead us together in reciting the Apostles' Creed. We do not do this because we are a creedal people. The Bible is our God. But a creed is simply a succinct statement of faith. And this is a creed that has served the church for almost, well, actually just a little over 2,000 years in saying these are the things that we believe. Michael, would you come and lead us, please? <laughs> 